Com. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Happy Friday and welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm thrilled to have you listening today. We have a great show. Today we're going to be talking to green leaders in business in both the U.S. and in China. And we're going to be talking about some of their goals, some of their visions for environmental protection. And though they have never spoken to one another, though they are thousands of miles apart geographically, what we're probably going to hear, and this is what I suspect, is that they have some pretty similar thoughts and goals about how our world needs to become cleaner, healthier, safer, and greener. And I'm really excited for you to listen up. We've got the Director of Sustainability for Time Incorporated, uh, David Refkin. He is also the President of the National Recycling Coalition. So he's got some great insights to share with us. We also have the founder and the owner of Greenovate out of Shanghai, China. And we are going to be talking to her the second half of the hour. And uh, I'm very excited about that. But first, I want to share with you a story Yesterday, I took my interns. I have three interns this summer for the Go Green Initiative. That's the nonprofit environmental education program that I founded in 2002. And I have three brilliant summer interns. Two are students at USC. The other is a student at UC Davis. And I took them to a Covanta Energy plant. Now, as you hear during the commercials, Covanta Energy is the sponsor of this show. Well, I am not the kind of radio host that's going to just let somebody sponsor the show and not know anything about them. I want to know everything about them. So yesterday, um, I took my interns to a Covanta energy plant, and boy, was it amazing. Basically, what they're doing at this plant is taking waste, garbage, if you will, after everybody's recycled all that they can, after they've pulled out as much recycling as they possibly can, instead of sending what's left over to the local landfill, they are creating electricity out of it in a combustion boiler situation that is so clean. I know a lot of people think, oh, my goodness, what about air emissions? But the fact is it's so incredibly clean that it's considered a renewable energy source. Now, is that amazing or what? If we were to put in these plants all around the country, we wouldn't need landfills anymore. And I think that's a pretty amazing technology. Um, We got to go through the entire plant. We looked at the air emissions um, you know, the, their entire operation there. And their, their data is streamed 24-7 in real time to the air district for monitoring. And they have air permits. They've never had a problem. It was really, really an eye-opener. Um, and I was so excited about this. I don't know if my interns were as well because to go to the plant, you've got to wear comfortable shoes and you've got to be ready to be on a tipping floor, which is where the non-recyclable waste comes to, yeah, you're walking in trash, but it's a very clean facility. It's still, you know, a little bit of smell, just a teeny, teeny bit, but not on the outside, just right there on the tipping floor. My interns were great sports. They had a blast, and today I've got one of my interns on. She is going to be a sophomore at USC. She's studying urban planning, and so one of the things that she wanted to look at for, you know, considering Covanta energy plants or energy from waste plants in her future urban planning designs is, can a plant like this be incorporated right downtown in the middle of a a business or residential area 
And what she found out is absolutely yes. Because of the way that they ventilate the system, when you're in the parking lot, when you're standing right outside the plant, you don't even know what's going on in there in terms of, you know, the, the, the smell or the look. It's very clean. It's very efficient. Very small little footprint. So it's a pretty exciting day for her. So today I'm really excited to have my intern on, Alexine Farrell. Welcome, Alexine. Hi. Thanks, Jill. <laughs> well, I was so glad that you were able to join me yesterday. Um, it was a really great trip, and Covanta did an awesome job of showing us how energy from waste is created. Now, before we went, did you know anything about EFW technology? Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Jill, again for that opportunity and those at the Covanta plant. Um, I actually know I had never heard of it before. I knew that there were alternative forms of energy, and um, they actually say in their little video that we were showed within, you know, our first few minutes, whether or not we care where our garbage goes. And to be honest, before this, I really didn't. I just wanted to make sure it was sort of, you know, somewhere that wasn't in my house. <laughs> so um, this is really, really interesting for me, and it was definitely very eye-opening. Um, usually in school we learn about wind and solar, um, geothermal, but this kind of technology is usually grouped into the, you know, other category where they don't really talk about it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, more importantly, I didn't know that this worked as a form of race, uh, I'm sorry, waste reduction, since that is what it is primarily. And so this is all just very new to me. Yeah, talk about that waste reduction piece. What did you learn? What surprised you? Anything about what you saw and what you learned about that and about the, the plant itself? Well, um, I was surprised, yeah. I mean, energy from waste is really, despite the fact that it's very advanced technology, a very elementary idea that I'm surprised more people haven't considered, I'm considering the energy problem that we find ourselves in. Uh, I think the problem is that we have so much space for waste here in the West Coast, um, Central America. We have so much land that we feel like it's okay to just sort of have those landfills as opposed to, you know, places like Europe or Japan, um, they told us, in fact, that here only 5% of our waste goes through this energy from waste process where 89% in Japan, and that's a huge difference. So I was really surprised that we could have this technology, but so few people would know about it. That's um, true, yeah. yeah. Also, um, I was also surprised that the size and the extent of the plants are very variable. Uh, the one we went to see was a relatively small, Oh, excuse me, a relatively small plant. Uh, it only powers about, I think, about 20,000 houses, whereas mm-hmm. the larger ones can power up to 70,000 houses, mm-hmm. um, which means that, you know, we wouldn't always have to worry about some big honking <laughs> exactly. giant thing in our backyard. So we could have these smaller plants that could, you know, function locally. Um, that you, There's a lot of options because of the way that these plants can be built. And yeah, they're very is, scalable, aren't they? Yeah, it is. And um, I, I was also surprised to learn that it's pretty much the same as any power plant. The difference is the type of fuel because basically we're using garbage to give mm-hmm. us something that we need, energy, and the amount of emissions are different. Exactly. And, and whereas, you know, if you use oil or coal or natural gas, you know, to, to fuel an energy plant, um, you know, those are finite natural resources. At some point, we won't have those. It may not be in our lifetime. It may not be in your kid's lifetime, but at some point, those will run out. The earth has only made so much of it, and it'll run out. But, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't see a foreseeable future where garbage is going to run out. <laughs> Seems like we'll have that for a while. What do you think? <laughs> Seems like it. Well, um, 
Now, you're in urban planning, mm-hmm. and you know you, this is what you're studying. And I know you've been working on a paper this summer that's you know really revolutionary. And I'm excited we'll have you on another time to talk about that. But in terms of the urban planning application of the Covanta plant, what did you think what, when you saw this? You know, how did it change in any way what you were thinking about in terms of what you might include in some infill development or high-density development um, when you become a professional urban planner? Well, that's an interesting question. (laughs) When I first walked into the plant, I mean, I had all these questions about whether or not something like this could work for an urban environment. I mean, it's out, just sort of out in the boonies kind of, you know, up on a hill. And um, for me... Uh, being an urban planning student, I've seen a lot of the different ways that um, sort of demographics are changing. And there's definitely a trend towards higher density developments because mm-hmm. there are more people living in cities and metropolitan areas today than ever before in history. Mm-hmm. So we need that space for housing, not for landfills. That's and right. there's definitely a trend towards... Um, uh, higher density housing, more apartment style, mixed use, um, transit oriented, which means that people have to live close together if they're going mm-hmm. to live near a transit hub. Mm-hmm. And so, so how I, do you think EFW technology would work with this high density housing trend? Well, I thought that um, at first I wasn't sure how it would work out. I mean, there's a lot of a nimbyism going on. People probably wouldn't sure. want an EFW plant in their backyard, but um, it definitely, like like you mentioned before, there's no smell around it, um, hardly any noise. You barely know what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and again, because of the different sizes that the plant could be and the amount of energy it could provide, mm-hmm. very variable. There's definitely a way to work it into an urban environment, which yep. I think is a really good solution because I'd much rather have an ESW plant in my backyard than a landfill. Well, that's a great point. That's well said, Alexine. And, you know, they were talking about, I remember we were talking about this a little bit at the tour yesterday, how they have a plant right downtown in Minneapolis. Yeah, they do. And, you know, it's been there for years, functioning well. And that that surprised me, too. That was something that I learned that I didn't know before. And, um, you know, the, the, the neighbors around that plant love them, you know, and it's a great solution mm-hmm. for Minneapolis. So, in fact, I'm going to be out there and couple, three weeks. I want to try and visit it. But now we learned something that was pretty incredible, that Florida considers EFW a renewable energy source. What did you find out about California, where you and I live? Does it consider it a renewable energy source? Well, this plant is actually considered renewable energy because they have lobbyists in Sacramento who fought to be included in the definition, but other plants like it in California are not considered renewable, um, despite the fact that the Energy Policy Act of 2006 said that EFW plants were renewable. Only 23 states have taken that stance. Right. And, and based on what you saw from the emissions, uh, you know, and the emissions control, uh, it seems really safe to me. Uh, what do you think? Well, um, you know, there may be better solutions. You know, there always are. But currently, this is among the most advanced technology we have. And it's definitely a lot more advanced than burying our garbage in the ground. I mean, the air is constantly controlled. The water, there are no water emissions because it never leaves the plant. Um, the nitrous oxides are monitored, um, different acid gases. It's, 
I mean, even the human body has waste it doesn't know what to do with. This is one of the best solutions that we have right now. Well, I, I think so, too. And, again, um, you know, I was really glad to take you guys there and take the interns for the Go Green initiative to Covanta. I found it rather eye-opening, and I, I thank you, Alexine, for coming on. And I want you to mark your calendar. Come back when you're finished with your paper. We've got about 30 seconds before break. Tell us, just give us a little preview of what your paper is that you're working on. My paper is basically telling urban planners and developers that green construction techniques are not as expensive as they think. That's awesome, and I can't wait to hear more about it. Thanks, Alexine. Join us after the break to talk to David Refkin, Director of Sustainability for Time Incorporated. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Can you hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African-American, just like you. So here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council. Do you need help getting a grant? Join the grant doctor, Bev Browning, for the program Get a Grant right here on Voice America. Each week, Dr. Bev takes you through an hour of timely topics for grant seekers, writers, and researchers. You'll learn everything there is to know about grants, grant writing, and funding. You won't have to keep asking, where's the money? And how do I get it for my organization? Get a Grant with Dr. Bev Browning is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back, Go Green listeners. We are so thrilled today to have the Director of Sustainable Development for Time Incorporated, David Refkin, with us. He's also the Board President for the National Recycling Coalition, an organization near and dear to my heart because they were one of the first organizations to endorse the Go Green Initiative, which is the program that I founded in 2002. Welcome, David. How are you? Uh, Great to be on here, Jill. Thanks so much. You bet. Now, you were named the Director of Sustainable Development for Time back in 2004. Tell us what that job entails. Well, it's really very exciting. Time Inc. is uh, the country's largest magazine publisher, and we focus on key sustainability issues that impact us, issues such as forestry, recycling, and climate change. So as the publisher of magazines such as Time, People, and Sports Illustrated, as you would well imagine, we use a great deal of paper. So these are important issues to us. Uh, on sustainable forestry, we, we really want to make sure that the fiber used in our magazines are coming from well-managed forests. On recycling, we want to promote as uh, high a rate of magazine recovery as possible. And on climate change, we want to make sure that we're minimizing uh, the greenhouse gas emissions related to manufacturing our magazines. And we also enjoy working with like-minded companies uh, who also want to promote the advancement in the supply of environmentally preferable paper. That's amazing. And, and what a big job you have. Now, does Time Incorporated have a vision or a, a mission statement of some kind for the company's overall sustainability? What, what does that entail? Well, we uh, to, to really, really give you some more detail on that, uh, in terms of making sure that wood is used from a sustainably managed forest, one of the challenges we faced was that small landowners, who represent 70% of all the wood being used for, for paper or wood products in general, are, are 10 million small landowners around the country, and they really weren't part of this whole process. So we've been able to work with some very forward-thinking people in places like Maine and Wisconsin to, uh, to increase the supply of that. Uh, in terms of magazine recovery, we've worked with the National Recycling Coalition and developed a program called Remix. Recycling Magazines is excellent. We've now launched the program in five cities, uh, including Boston, Metro D.C., New York, Milwaukee, and Portland, Oregon. And uh, there's a tremendous demand for fiber out there, and we want to make sure that more and more of it is recovered in the future. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, minimizing uh, carbon emissions. I think we all know that... Uh, the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions is a huge challenge uh, and something that, that urgently needs to take place. And what we did was we measured our carbon footprint for Time and InStyle magazines, and based on that we set goals for our paper suppliers and their full supply chain, including the energy providers, to make sure that uh, they, they hit uh, 20 to 30% reduction targets by 2012. So we're trying to proactively uh, move forward and uh, work with, our, with the whole supply chain to make sure that uh, we can make some real progress in this country. Well, and I love that. That idea right there is is absolutely the way that it has to be, and I wish that more companies did that. A lot of companies are going green. They're looking at their own process, and they're doing, you know, a lot of things right. However, it's really a supply chain management issue to ensure that your entire process, the cradle-to-cradle um, or cradle-to-grave 
process for what you're doing, the products that you're putting in the hands of consumers, is as green as possible, is as sustainable as possible. So I love hearing about companies that have involved their supply chain. I think that's tremendous and very laudable. Now, um, specifically, what kinds of projects have you been involved with that will help the company meet its goal? You mentioned Remix, but tell us about some of your proudest moments with the company. You've been with them for four years now, so tell us more about specific projects and what the outcomes were. Sure, thanks. Uh, well, one of them is I would start with related to forestry. Uh, for many years, we wanted to make sure that that a reader could pick up one of our magazines and not be concerned that, you know, where is the wood coming from and is it coming from a well-managed forest? What's actually taking place? So we established a target in 2001 to go from 25% of all our wood coming from a well-managed forest that we knew of to 80%. And people said, well, this is going to be impossible. There's so many landowners out there. How do we really get people to care? So one of the key things we did was we worked with the government in the state of Maine, and one of the one of those really great moments was uh, when the governor of the state announced that uh, the state would be moving to increase their certified lands by 50 percent by 2008. Wow, that was uh, that was an exciting time. And then when this after the state of Maine did that, states like Wisconsin, Minnesota, and others said, "Wow, we better be doing things like this also," and that started a whole chain of events taking place. Uh, another moment would be with our uh, remix program in when we launched it in New York City, which we just did early this year, uh, something that many people worked on for six or so years. When I got on that subway train and actually saw the remix ad mm-hmm. uh, in that, you know, that, that thousands of people in that subway car would be looking at that day, you know, that was, uh, that was a very uh, exciting moment. I'll bet. I'll uh, bet. And then the third one I would say would be, um, you know, uh, related to climate change. And back in 2001, we decided to uh, to measure our, our company's carbon footprint for one specific supply chain for Time and InStyle magazines. And we pub the Heinz Center uh, here in Washington, D.C., published that report in 2006. And it was cutting edge, and not a lot of people were talking about carbon footprints back then. But the key is once you have the information, then setting targets. And based on that, we sent we set a target of a 20 to 30 percent reduction. And our paper suppliers and their supply chain, including the energy providers, are making good progress as we move towards those goals. So well, that's an a, interesting point. And and how do you measure that progress? Well, one of the things we do is we have a annual uh, report card that our paper suppliers and the whole supply chain fills out for us, and we publish that in a sustainability report. Timing just released its second sustainability report, which is available at the, the Timing website. And so we, we very closely monitor the actual progress that they are making, and we give grades out for our suppliers based on the work that they do. I see. And what are some of the, the pieces on the report card? Well, it gets into many of the same issues that you would expect, so we'd like to know what the supplier's CO2 emissions are uh, in the full supply chain. What, is, what are their mercury emissions? How much certified fiber is in their products? Uh, what, are they, what are their measurements in certain particular uh, key environmental parameters? What are they doing uh, as a strategy to reduce their use of fossil fuels? And are the strategies holistically implemented throughout the, the organization, or is it just, uh, is it just beyond not only just what they're doing at their plants, but is it uh, holistically incorporated in all their operations? I love it. I love it. That's, that is leadership. Right there. When you go to your supply chain with that kind of a report card, that, that's real leadership. I really love it. 
Um, you're also the president of the board of uh, the National Recycling Coalition, and that's obviously a green organization. But what are your goals or the board's goals for the National Recycling Coalition in the 21st century? I know we're eight years into it, but you guys have been around a long time. You're a well-established organization. Where do you see the organization going uh, in the 21st century? Well, thanks. Yeah, we've been around for 30 years, and uh, we consider ourselves the voice of recycling in the U.S., and we're focused on innovative ways to promote recycling. So some of the things we get involved with, for example, is at the college and university level. We have a college and university recycling council, and a couple of years ago we started a contest called Recycle Mania. We now have over 400 schools involved in an annual contest to see who can recycle the most at, at college campuses all over America. Wow. We, we work with people like Nike in promoting uh, reuse of shoe programs. Uh, I mentioned Remix earlier. We have a wonderful program sponsored by Coca-Cola where they're putting bins in public places so that we can have, so when you're walking down the street and you have a bottle, you can recycle it instead of having to take it home. Uh, we also have a Model Cities program in places such as Hartford where we're trying to take best management practices uh, for education and operations and, uh, and dramatically increase uh, recycling in a place like Hartford, and we're off to a great start there. That's amazing. Well, and I, I can't let you go without recommending for your Model Cities program. Last week we had the mayor of Syracuse, New York, on, and you have a great um, NRC affiliate right there in Syracuse, New York, NYSAR 3, your New York State affiliate. Yes. Uh, the president's right there in Syracuse. And I've got to tell you, Syracuse has got it going on when it comes to going green. So uh, I might want to give Mayor Driscoll a call. He was on the program last week, and he is amazing. So just got to put in a plug for our good buddies in Syracuse. But if our listeners want to get involved with the National Recycling Coalition, how do they do that? Well, the easiest way is to go to uh, nrc-recycle.org and join our organization. So we'd certainly love if people did that. We also have an annual Congress. This year we're holding it in Pittsburgh, September 21st through 24th, and that's a great opportunity to learn about recycling, practical examples from recycling coordinators uh, and corporate leaders all over, the, all over the country about how to increase recovery, the connection with climate change. Uh, we bring in some really top-notch speakers in addition, uh, you can encourage your local community to recycle as many materials as possible. You know, and frankly, with the value of materials so high right now, this is often a way for cities to find new revenue sources and to reduce people's taxes. So the uh. recycling uh, doesn't always uh, save money, but in many cases it can. And then lastly, recycle and encourage others to do. And I think more and more people understand about the challenges we face on climate change, and then recycling is one of the easier ways to people can have a personal impact on uh, reducing the emissions gases. When you look 10 or 20 years down the road, what do you hope our country will be doing in terms of recycling and resource conservation? Where, where do you hope we'll get to? Well, I would hope we see some seriously large increases, dramatic increases in, in uh, recovery rates, even beyond what is happening in, in leadership countries in Europe and in Japan today. And, you know, there are those who really want to move towards waste being close to zero, and I think for many of us, zero waste is, is at least an aspirational goal that we'd like to start moving in that direction. Um, you know, we need these resources not only for America, but frankly, uh, the people around the world who increasingly are seeing their standards of living increase, uh, many of them would like to, to have lifestyles similar to ours, and we need more resources to be able to do that as a society, as a global society. So recycling is going to need to be uh, part of the, the solution there. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I really think that the NRC is going to play a powerful leadership role in this, and I look forward to seeing you know, what you do, both with Time Incorporated, but also with the National Recycling Coalition. Um, David, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, and we, uh, we support all the work you've done, and uh, we encourage your listeners to be part of the solution also. Well, thank you, David, and uh, we will be back right after the break talking to the founder of Greenovate. So don't go away. We'll be right back in a moment. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. World-renowned cosmetic surgeon and scientist Dr. Andrew G. Berman hosts Beauty in America, broadcasting every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. What is beauty? How is it viewed in a cross-cultural context? And what is the role of plastic surgery in society, careers, and life? Expert guests join Dr. Berman to discuss historic and current concepts of beauty and plastic surgery, as well as trends, advances, and gimmicks. Beauty in America with Dr. Andrew G. Berman finds out what is real and what is hype right here on the Voice America channel, Fridays at 2 p.m. No excuses, no delays. If you have goals you want to achieve or changes you need to make, then it's time to take charge of your life with America's Change Buddy, Nancy Christie. This show will help you lead a more productive and fulfilling life starting now. Take Charge of Your Life challenges you to expand your sense of possibilities. Take Charge of Your Life with Nancy Christie is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America. Let change be a positive force in your life. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back, Go Green Radio listeners. We have a very interesting guest for you. We just heard from David Ruskin, who is the Director of Sustainable Development for Time Incorporated, a huge U.S. company. And now we're going to get to talk to the head of a Chinese-based 
company. She's based in Shanghai. And uh, she's not only the founder of her environmental consulting company, she's also the founder of a great environmental education program that's going on over in Tier 2 and Tier 3 cities outside of Shanghai. And we are going to get to hear all about what she's doing. Her name is Mihaela Haldin. Haldin, and um, I am so thrilled to have you on, Mihaela. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Jill, for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, you're the founder of the company Greenovate. Yes. You're also the founder of a nonprofit environmental education call, uh, program called Gecko. Yes. Tell our listeners first about Greenovate. Tell us all about it. All right. Well, as you mentioned, we are an environmental consulting company based in um, Shanghai, China. Mm-hmm. We work um, with uh, international environmental professionals um, on projects like greening the supply chains um, in China. Mm-hmm. We work on all sorts of recommendations, how to optimize the current um, and existing environmental facilities in the um, small and medium uh, industries in China. So this is our business part of what we do and where we make money. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, when, when I started, um, when I started Greenovate, I also started with the um, Gecko, which is Greenovate Environmental Challenge for Kids Outreach. Because I've been traveling in China a lot for the last three years almost, and I think by now I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I decided that, you know, maybe it's not on us foreigners only to complain all the time, but maybe to really start and contribute to the positive change. I love, I love that attitude. You know, the real roll up your sleeve just because it's the right thing to do. If you see something that needs to be done, take the initiative to do it. I really respect that. Now, before we launch into the other questions that I have for you, tell us where our listeners can find out more about your company, the website address. Uh, the website address for the Greenovate is greenovate2e2n.net, uh, and from there you can see the greenovate.org. Yep. Yep, that is, I, I was all over it in the last couple days, and it's amazing. You really have to check that out. Now, how did you personally first become interested in environmental issues? Well, um, I was born in a very small country of, um, called Slovenia. Mm-hmm. It's a two million people country in Europe, right next to Italy and Austria. And it's a very, very green country. So I guess I was, the environment was in my genes already. <laughs> <laughs> the common sense coming with it also. So um, now when I talk in China sometimes and I say that I come from 2 million people country, you know, compared to Chinese numbers, they always ask me, we all live in the same hotel. <laughs> 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 that's, that's, that's the brand name I get coming from Slovenia. But, um, yeah, I was, I was living um, mostly with my grandparents on the farm during my childhood, and, you know, we never really talked about reduce, reuse, recycle. It was just there. We did it because it was a part of life. Right. So when I got to China and I started traveling and talking to these industrial owners who were great guys, really fast-growing, in the last five years, I mean, what they made from their companies, it was uh, astonishing for me, and I really admire most of them for, for what they did. But once I was um, down in the south of China, and I met with, with one of them, and we were walking around his company, and there was almost no trees left. Wow. So I asked him, 
you know, I'm a very direct person, which sometimes in China doesn't really work well. <laughs> but I ask him, do you think that your son and the son, son, I think it was like 12 at that time, do you think your son will come back here and live here with his family? And he looked at me, and he was completely shocked. I saw him, and he said, oh, you foreigners make all the difficult things so simple. <laughs> so it's true, we do. I mean, we do because probably our common sense about the environment is coming from a completely different point than, than, than his. Right. So at that time, I realized that it's not only on uh, regulations and it's not only on the financial strength of the company, you know, when they will decide to actually put money and put technologies in place. It's more about how the individual can see or oversee the consequences he or the company is actually influencing in the environment. Well, you know what's really powerful about that argument in China, um, and it's not like, you know, parents don't love their children all over the world, but in China there's a one-child exactly. regulation. Yeah. So when you talk to the Chinese about their children and protecting their children's future, they've only got one, one precious offspring. Yes. And so that is an amazingly powerful thing to to bring to the forefront when you're talking about environmental issues. Yes, exactly. And that's why we I start thinking about um, Gecko and about the high school students because in these smaller cities, most of the high school students, because of such a uh, you know, stiff competition to go to the university, most of them, 80% of them, actually stays in the local communities. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking if we start teaching them and if we get them excited about the environment, then, then they will go home and talk to their parents and then they will work in this kind of industry so the change will start slowly. Well, and that's a brilliant, brilliant concept. And it is. It's making something that's a difficult thing to educate all those children. I mean, China's population is 1.3 billion, um, and trying to educate the next generation of a country that big is a difficult thing, but you've you've made it simple in terms of philosophy and approach, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. We'll talk about Gecko, but I, I want to talk a little bit more about your environmental consulting business. What made you decide to, to relocate to Shanghai in particular? I mean, what, what drove you from your native country in Europe to Shanghai? Well, I was actually involved in the IT business before, uh-huh. and I was living in the States for a while. And when I got back to Slovenia and my family was involved in the environmental engineering company, mm-hmm. um, the position in Shanghai opened, and I really never thought about China being my destination. But at that time, you know, there was only in the newspapers we were reading so many things, you know, everybody were talking about China. So I thought, all right, maybe it's time for me to try. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Slovenians like to stay at home a lot too. So there were not a lot of other candidates who would apply for a job. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll go. And then I was actually working in that, that kind of business development for, the, um, for, for a couple of the environmental technologies in China for a year and a half. And then I started off my own. That's amazing. That's amazing. And and what kind of companies do you consult for? Tell us about two or three of your favorite clients and their success stories. Well, um, we mostly consult, um, like I said, small and medium companies. Small and medium companies in China, in terms of employees, would mean, you know, from 500 to 2,000 employees. That would be small and medium. 
<laughs> that's uh, <still> pretty big. <laughs> yeah. uh, we we work with uh, um, all sorts of companies, wood companies, food companies, paper companies, um, also some of the metallurgical companies. Um, at this time now, the approach um, is a little different. We usually come into the company through a foreign buyer who wants to make sure that the suppliers in China are um, working according or close to the local regulations. And also the companies who are now more concerned about the negative publicity coming from any major environmental outbreaks in China. Sure. Um, and um, usually, you know, when you talk about environment in China, it it's always connected to the oh then you know the product the price of the product is going to be higher and you know there is investment needed and uh, we have such a, we had such a great example of two companies we were working uh, with they were both in the uh, wood industry and we did the environmental audits in in both of them one was an emergency environmental audit because the government was threatening to shut them down, mm-hmm. and another was just because the com- the company was really responsible and they were um, they were lo- located next to the Yangtze River, so they knew that they have to clean mm-hmm. whatever they were letting into the water. Um, so the first company decided um, after the environmental audit and our recommendation that they will go for the solution and they just finish uh, now and they rebuild the whole wastewater treatment. Um, um, at their place, and the other company who was threatened by the government decided later on that, you know, maybe they will get away with not doing anything, and actually, at the end, they will shut, They were shut down. Really? So things like that really happen in China, yeah. <laughs> For me, it took me a long time, too, to start believing it, but these companies, both of them were in the same price range, you know, exporting um, their products pretty much the same size, but um, at the end, you know, the company who, uh, which was which was uh, shut down, you know, somebody lost probably an important supplier. Um, people lost jobs there. The environment was still damaged, so nobody actually win at the right. end. Right. Well, and what that says to me is that the Chinese government is really getting serious about environmental protection. I mean, to yes. shut a company down because they won't comply yes. um, probably surprises some folks who have a misconception that the Chinese government, um, you know, isn't taking action to protect the environment. That's a pretty powerful story. Yes. Um, I, I believe that the uh, Chinese government is, is getting very, very progressive um, mm-hmm. in terms of environment. And I think that uh, this is also where we foreigners need to step in and start behaving a little more responsibly in China. That's why I was talking about the supply chains before. Mm-hmm. And there are different ways how you can influence your suppliers, you know, in terms of your internal environmental politics, um, policies, and stuff like that. But, yes, Chinese government is getting serious. That's good news. That's yes. really good news. Yes. Well, we have about one minute left in this particular segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about your environmental education program. But in the minute that we have left, tell us what your vision for the future of Greenovate is. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, in China, um, usually when you start, you don't have 10 years, um, 10 years plan ahead because uh-huh. things are changing um, so fast. But um, I am hoping that um, the consulting part and the service part is going to grow in the next um, five years and maybe then um, change a little of the um, ownership strategy we have um, for now. 
and um, that we will end up being a medium-sized company with um, some standards actually applied by the um, by the Chinese government as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you reach that goal, Mihaela. Thank you. That's awesome. We're going to bring you back right after the break and talk about Gecko, your environmental education program. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. They say it's from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote, and then I stopped volunteering, and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder. Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Do you know what the most complex piece of your business capital investment is? Is it the technology? Is it the infrastructure? Could it be the office and corporate structure? The most complex piece of your business capital investment is the human being. Return on Human Capital is a unique program that discusses some of the most important issues facing leaders in business. Join your hosts, Howard Pines and Jay Santamaria, for Return on Human Capital, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Green Radio listeners. We are joined by Michaela Slodin, from originally from Slovenia, now lives in Shanghai, China. She's the founder of Greenovate, an amazing environmental consulting company, and she's also the founder of Gecko, which is an environmental education program that she has started in the rural areas of Shanghai. Welcome back, Michaela. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Well, I'm really excited to hear more about your environmental education program, GECCO. Tell us again what that acronym stands for. Okay. So GECCO stands for Greenovate Environmental Challenge for Kids Outreach. Um, It's actually the name I would not choose, but it just kind of came out (laughs) as a very handy one. 
So, yes, this is our first um, and initial effort, actually, towards integrating the environment into the mainstream values Mm -hmm. for the kids in the rural areas of China. Uh, When did you start Gecko? Was that about a year ago or? No, it's even less than a year. We started talking about it um, a year ago, and then we started putting together a program in November, and we start with the first program then in March. Well, tell us about how you started it. What was, you know, your your first experience like? How did you put the program itself together? Tell us about the genesis of Gecko. Well, as I said before, uh, we had an idea that if we would help um, high school kids to get excited about the environment, to see that this can be a potential opportunity for them, that maybe, um, you know, they would take it that this is not something that the government and the industry needs to um, needs to take care of, but actually them as individuals can contribute to the change in the country. I love this idea of individual responsibility. Um, did you find that to be sort of a, a, a foreign idea to the kids? Um, you know, we think of, maybe this is wrong, but we think of, you know, China as a very government-controlled area where government kind of, you know, tells folks what to do and what not to do. Maybe that's incorrect, but um, this idea of taking individual responsibility, was that new to um, actually, actually, not that new. It was more about that they would understand that they, too, can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And in order... For them to understand that, we try to localize all the content we are teaching so, you know, they can really relate to the issues and to the challenges in the local environment. So it's not only telling them how to react on some changings and saying, you know, not to throw garbage on the floor and, you know, turn, turn off the lights, but actually explaining them and teaching them why not to litter or, or why to save energy or why to discuss about the environment at home. Uh-huh. So, so you say that you localize the program. So that means that you're actually using the environment around the school as a teaching mechanism. They're actually seeing their effect on, you know, what's right there outside their door. Exactly. Uh-huh. Actually... You know, because at the end it's China, and we are foreigners, and we have no right to judge what is it done and what is not done. So we made the decision that we are not going to comment or interfere or whatever with the local Chinese topics, but we left them to the environmental agency, to the local environmental agency, which is working with us in each schools. So we actually talk about global changes and global challenges like how environment works in cycles, how we interrupt these cycles, where we could make a difference as individuals, how the environment could be our future career, and then the local environmental protection agency is speaking about local issues. I love that. And here, you know, that's something I can totally relate to because with the program that I do, the, the environmental education program that I started in 2002, we developed a planning guide that helped schools, no matter where they are, develop their own set of goals and objectives um, to teach the kids about environmental protection. And that was very revolutionary at the time because programs that had been out before us were sort of monolithic. It was a checklist of, you know, you have to do this and you have to stop doing that. Exactly. And the fact is it wasn't relevant to every school location and, and, and age group. But with the Go Green Initiative, we took, you know, a set of 
of ideas and then said, okay, school, wherever you are, mold it and shape it the way that it works for you. And I love that that's what you're doing in these outer areas of Shanghai. That's amazing. Yes, um, we, you know, it's also that um, here in China you cannot just go to the school and teach the kids. You actually need to get pre-approved from Educational mm-hmm. Bureau and Environmental Protection Agency. So, you know, in order to get through, through all this smoothly, you know, you need to play along, and this is, and this is our, um, our approach. Our approach in the environment in China is positive. It's not saying, you know, everything's very bad. Mm-hmm. There is nothing we can do. Eventually, we will all sink. But, you know, <laughs> our approach is, you know, so here is, you know, here is your classroom. Here is your forest, you know, Appreciate it. Well, and I, I really like that approach, Mahela, because it's so respectful. Not only is it respectful of the environment, it's respectful of the people, their culture. Um, you've really taken your consumers or your clients, so to speak, into account. And so many times I find environmental educators who have their own idea, their own agenda, this is what ought to happen, and they try and impose that on people, whereas you're really showing a respect for the people, the people that you want to reach out to. And I think that's the best way to do things. Yeah, I think probably in China it's also the only way um, yeah. to do it. And, <laughs> you know, me coming from such a small country, I <laughs> I really have, I have I cannot really play really, really big, right? I, I'm, I'm used to being very modest at the first approach anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your, been your greatest success so far? Well, uh, we started with the program in um, in Guizhou province. This is a, a very poor province in the middle of China. It's actually we started in one of the cities, two hours flight from Shanghai and seven hours on a very bumpy road Ooh. there. Mm-hmm. Um, the city has around five hundred thousand um, citizens and um, around seven high schools. And we started in two high schools and one middle school. One, the middle school was really, really poor, um, a little out of the city, and the, the other two high schools were pretty great. I mean, for um, for Chinese circumstances. Mm-hmm. So um, we started there in March, and we got um, we got 1,000 kids involved in the program. Wow! Yes, actually, we got 500 kids involved in the program, and then for 500 other kids who could not join, we went to the English classes and talked to them. I must say here that all these kids never saw a foreigner before. So it was such an experience even for us, you know, <laughs> coming <laughs> there and they were applauding and you were yelling celebrities. and <laughs> <laughs> Screaming, yeah. So so it was really an amazing experience. And um and then we started with with very unusual approach in the classroom too. We encouraged them to talk to us a lot. We play a lot of games with them. They had to do a lot of projects. Mm-hmm. So it was very untraditional approach from what they they are used in the school. So once they got over that, you know, we are foreigners and you know we are scary creatures from some other world. <laughs> <laughs> um, they really, really worked with us. That even on, I mean, I was very surprised because I was, I was thinking on, a, I, I was counting on a more pa- passive approach from their side, but it was completely, um, completely different. You were welcomed wholeheartedly. Yeah. Well, you know, we've only got about a minute left, but I, I want to thank you for joining us, and I want to have you back um, sure. after you've you've done some more uh, work with some of the schools. I want to hear more and more about these success stories. I really respect what you're doing. Thank you thank so you much. Very much. Thank you very much, Jill, and thank you all for listening. 
Well, and, and I think our listeners are really going to want to check out your website. Tell us again where to find that. It's www.greenovate.net, and Greenovate with two E and two N. Thank you, Mahela. Thank you. Join us again next week for Go Green Radio. We'll be talking to some folks from Roots and Shoots. They, that was the program developed by Dr. Jane Goodall. Join us next week for Go Green Radio. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.